We are the richest country in the history of the world, and we have the most expensive healthcare system in the world. Yet we have the worst health statistics of all the 30 richest countries in the world. The maternal mortality rate for all U.S. women is about 33 per 100,000 live births. For black women, it is about 70. The maternal mortality rate in the European countries averages eight. The Scandinavian countries, two. The U.S. ranks 42nd in life expectancy among the countries of the world, with Cubans having a higher life expectancy. No matter how you look at it, our healthcare system stinks. It is a fraud. We need the real McCoy, the real McCoy, the real McCoy. What is wrong with our healthcare system that we are performing so poorly? The answer is simple. The purpose of our healthcare system is about making profit for health insurance companies, big hospital chains, pharmaceutical corporations, and increasingly private equity firms, not for the health and well-being of our people. No matter how you look at it, our healthcare system stinks. It is a fraud. We need the real McCoy. The real McCoy, the real McCoy, the real McCoy. My name is Dr. Claire Cohen, an African-American child and adolescent psychiatrist who has been practicing in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania since 1984. I grew up in Philadelphia, PA, where I attended Hahnemann Medical College, now Drexel University Medical School. I did my general psychiatry residency at the University of Chicago, I then moved to Pittsburgh to do my child and adolescent fellowship at the University of Pittsburgh's Western Psychiatric Institute and Clinics. I fell in love with Western PA and have practiced here ever since. I've worked in a variety of settings, including community mental health clinics, partial hospitals, school-based settings, and currently in an inpatient hospital setting. In addition to my career, I've always been very active in my community. Throughout the 80s and 90s, I was involved in efforts to support union strikes, fight police brutality, and fight against apartheid in South Africa. More recently, I have been involved in efforts to stop the school-to-prison pipeline in the Pittsburgh Public Schools. I am also a founding member of Pittsburgh Green New Deal and on the advisory board of the Pittsburgh Black Workers Center. I've been a member of Physicians for a National Health Program since the early 1990s. I am one of the founding members of National Single Payer and on its steering committee. I'm also a member of Western PA Coalition for Single Payer Health Care. Finally, I am also on the Medicare for All Committee for the Democratic Socialists of America. I'm here today for this first podcast with my co-host, Dr. Anna Malinow. Dr. Anna Malinow spent three decades working as a pediatrician with immigrant, refugee, and underserved children in Ohio, Texas, Pennsylvania, and California. She is a past president of Physicians for a National Health Program. She is also co-founder of Healthcare for All Texas, Doctors for Change, the PNHP Western PA Chapter, the Movement to End Privatization of Medicare, 
and a lead organizer for National Single Payer. She has authored opinion pieces on how National Single Payer will improve patient care and bring us closer to social justice. She has been a speaker on health care reform and featured on national and international television and radio. She recently retired as professor of pediatrics from the University of California in San Francisco. National Single Payer is a national grassroots organization that organizes locally in the struggle for national single payer health care. We are united by the common principles that health care is a human right, must be free from corporate profit, and must be achieved through national legislation. We have 12 founding principles, which we hope to go over at the end of this podcast. So, first I'd like to tell you a little story about the real McCoy. So, back in the 1800s in the United States, um, when the steam locomotive was first invented, at first, the steam the locomotives couldn't go very far because with all those moving parts in the engine, they could only go maybe 100 miles or something, and then they'd have to be re-oiled again. So it made the idea of trains very impractical. So the race was on to find a way to make it so the trains could be, the moving parts could be oiled so trains could go more than 100 miles. Well, there was this black man by the name of Elijah McCoy, and he discovered, he invented a technique to automatically oil the moving parts in the train engine, locomotive engine, um, continuously for thousands of miles, long enough to get a train all the way across the 300 the 3,000 miles of the United States before it would need to be oiled again. So this made it possible for trains to travel across the United States and made it made them practical and a real advance. Well, lots of black people would invent things and have invented things even before slavery was over. But usually when black people would invent things, white people would take their inventions, claim it as their own and make all the money off of it. So Elijah decided he wasn't telling anybody how he did it and how it worked. If you wanted that system in your train, you had to come to him to get it installed and put in. So there were a lot of people around the country, a lot of who were trying to figure out how to create something that worked like Elijah McCoy's system. That, but they couldn't figure it out. And people would get gypped all the time because they would buy this so-called system that didn't work. And it got so bad that people would say, I want the real McCoy. And um, so I believe that he went for he went to his deathbed, not telling how he did it. But that is the story. When you hear people say, I want the real McCoy, that's what they're talking about. What does this have to do with health care? Well, we all know that our system is broken in this country. It doesn't work. People can't. There are uh, 68 thousand people roughly that die every year from not having health care coverage. There are million, tens of millions of people in debt. People can't see the doctors they want. They can't afford the care that they need. Um, and we could go on and on, but our system is not working. 
And there have been plenty of fixes suggested that supposedly are going to, to take care of everything and make the system work. But there's only really one system that will make our system work, the real McCoy, single-payer health care. And so that's what our podcast is going to be about. What is the real McCoy? So I'm going to turn to Anna and uh, ask Anna, maybe you can give us an idea of what the real McCoy of a, of a working healthcare system would look like in this country if we had one. And we can take it from there. Okay, great. Um, so maybe before we start talking about what the ideal healthcare system in our country could look like, and when I say the word ideal, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's pie in the sky and it could never work because it works in uh, all other peer countries. Uh, and so it's not as though we would be inventing anything new. But before we get to, to what we could have in this country, perhaps we should talk about the crisis in our health and in our healthcare system uh, to set the the background and the landscape. Does that sound okay? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. So, um, you know, obviously there is a crisis in our health and our healthcare system. Um, I don't think that very many people would find that controversial. Our life expectancy is decreasing, and particularly since COVID, it has gone down uh, two years. It um, It is the lowest level since 1996 and the biggest two-year decline since 1921 to 1923. And the decline has been uh, two years overall, uh, but um, certain populations have been really, really hard hit, particularly the American Indian Alaska Native that have uh, lost almost seven years in their life expectancy, which is uh, really very tragic. We know that um, our maternal and infant mortality when compared to peer nations is the highest. And uh, the CDC reported recently that Black uh, women experienced uh, maternal mortality two to three times higher than white women. Yes, and in fact, it was 69.9, almost 70 per 100,000 live births. And if Black Americans were their own country, and we're big enough to be, we're about 40-something million people, we would be number 85 on the list of countries in the world, which is far below any wealthy nation. Right, Claire. And so just to give you some, con the, our listeners some context, you're absolutely right. 6.9 deaths, it's pr practically 70 deaths per 100,000 live births as it is usually measured uh, for black women versus 33 deaths per 100,000 live births for white women. So it's a, it's a tremendous difference. Yeah. And-, and and just to put it in further context, I looked up what the maternal mortality rate is in Europe and in Canada. And in the Scandinavian countries, it's one to three deaths per 100,000 women. Right, exactly. So even white women are not doing all that great mm -hmm. in, in this country. Um, the other thing is that uh, talking about COVID, that uh, in 2021, the U.S. had about 900,000 excess deaths uh, compared to peer nations. And, you know, the entire world suffered from COVID, but the United States uh, suffered 
particularly uh, badly. And um, half of those deaths were due to COVID and half of those deaths were due to other factors. Uh, we, we live in a healthcare system where people are weighed down by medical debt. So about 100 million Americans have medical debt, something that is unknown in, in peer nations. Uh, inequality is killing us and poverty is the fourth leading cause of death in the United States. And recently we heard about the unwinding as it is called of Medicaid uh, as a result of the end of the um, emergency uh, pandemic uh, and um, about 15 million people are at risk of losing their Medicaid um, at, as a result of the end of the public health emergency. And this means that uh, particularly children are going to be at risk for losing their health insurance. Um, adults uh, without children are going to be at risk. And uh, they're either going to be you know, pushed into these very expensive um, uh, plans in the exchanges uh, and by what I mean is uh, expensive is it is true that many of them have very, very low premiums. But the, but the problem is, is that as you're paying premiums, if you need health care, there are huge deductibles that you need to meet before you can actually start to get one penny's worth of health care covered by this health plan. And for families, it can be up to $17,000 per year of a deductible. So essentially, that's that's not really... Yeah. Uh, and, healthcare. And uh, the God. thing that's outrageous, according to what I've read, is somewhere between 75 to 85 percent of the people being unwound from Medicaid uh, are for procedural, quote, procedural reasons, unquote, which means not for medical reasons, not because you're not medically eligible, but maybe you filled numbers in wrong or didn't dot an I or a T. Right, exactly. So, so it's uh, Medicaid is um, eligibility is based on well several factors. One of them is your income. The other one is your age. The other one is your disability. Um, but uh, these procedural reasons are all administrative, and they're all due to paperwork uh, glitches rather than the fact that you no longer qualify due to the um, the the reasons that most people qualify for Medicaid. So we we have um, a healthcare system that um, truly is just really held hostage to the profits of corporations. That that's that's the best way to for me to put it. And so when we look towards a healthcare system that we all deserve and that would cost us even less money than what we're spending today, um, we need to think about, we, we should talk about a national single payer healthcare system because that is the healthcare system that would allow us to have all medically necessary um, healthcare needs covered. Uh, it would be universal. It would be from cradle to grave. Um, it would um, not be tied to our employment um, uh, or to our partners, right? Uh, so, um, and it would, um, as I said, cover all medically necessary um, services, including pharmaceuticals, um, uh, drugs. It would cover long-term care. It would cover uh, mental health, substance abuse, obviously. Um, 
and abortion, uh, women's reproductive rights, uh, gender affirming care, uh, all of these uh, very, very important uh, parts of our healthcare system that, that need to be covered. And under a national single payer healthcare system, we would be able to have this uh, these services covered for less money than what we are paying today. And we would be covering everyone. So we wouldn't have 25 million people uninsured. We wouldn't have 15 million on the edge of Medicaid or even in Medicaid to begin with, because we would just have one national healthcare system for everyone. And, and two other things that I think are really important is one, it would be free at the point of service. You'd go to the doctor, you wouldn't have to worry about a big deductible for before you could get services. And you wouldn't have to worry about co-pays. You just go to the doctor, like people do in many other countries. And and that wouldn't discourage you from going. I know lots of people, um, family members, extended family members and friends who think about before they go to the doctor because of that deductible, who try to come up with something. I had a cousin who died of breast cancer because she couldn't really afford to get the 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 deductible to get her diagnostic mammogram. That's right. Um, it's a it's a crime in a country that is so rich and spends so many trillions of dollars, $4.1 trillion a year on healthcare. So it's not as though we're not spending enough money and we need to spend more money. What we need to do is to get rid of the administrative waste, to get rid of um, of the private insurance companies, to get rid of the third-party middlemen that are just siphoning off uh, up to 30% of our healthcare dollars. And that's money that we would be able to use to cover everyone. Mm -hmm. And then there's the other problem. You know, people talk about uh, freedom of choice. People talk about the fact that there's a lot of evidence that Black people, especially Black men, do better when they go to Black doctors because they trust them more and listen to them more. But you have restrictive networks People come in and say, do you take this insurance? And I now correct patients by saying, no, you mean, does your insurance take me? Because that's called a restrictive network. Insurances decide what doctors they cover in their plans. And I've had plenty of patients. The dentist they want is in one plan. The doctor they want is in another plan. They can't get all of what they want. They don't have the freedom to choose the providers and doctors they want because they have to go by who's in the plan and and it's not these plans don't take everybody right and who's choosing the plan it's the employer it's not even the 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 patient or the employee the worker is not really choosing the plan i mean you might have an option of of two plans to to choose from but even those two options are determined by your your employer so yes, there's absolutely no choice whatsoever. And people you know, don't necessarily want their choice of health insurance plan. That's really not important. What's really important is to have their choice of physicians, their choice of providers, their choice of hospital centers of excellence, their dentists, their psychiatrists. Uh, that's the choice that people want to be able to, to have. And then there's the issue, I'm a psychiatrist, I work in a hospital, so I know every day we're having to fight to keep patients um, in uh, the hospital uh, when they need to stay. We can't, we can't discharge, we have a big problem with uh, being able to give patients the services they need after they leave the hospital. 
um, because there are a lot of plans that will only pay for straight outpatient. A patient may need a partial hospital program. They may need in-home services. They may need uh, behavioral services if they're autistic. And many times people think they have this wonderful plan and then they find out the service isn't covered under the plan. So, and then that's not the only reason why they can't access. There's a dearth of services, but a big issue is insurances uh, making it impossible. And then sometimes you have patients like uh, in Pennsylvania, you'll have a patient who lives right on the county line of one county. And in, Pen in Pennsylvania, a lot of these insurances, there's not an insurance that covers every county even, let alone the whole state. So the, there's a patchwork of counties, there's 67 counties, and different insurances cover different counties. So you frequently have a situation where a patient needs a service. It's over the right over the line in the next county, but that county is covered by a different insurance, and they can't they can't get that service that they need because they're on the wrong side of the county line, and their insurance won't cover it. And and that happens a lot. I'm, I, it does happen a lot and it happens everywhere, not just in Pennsylvania. And and we should not be held hostage to to a system that that um, that depends on private health insurance. And I think that that really is the root cause of all of these problems that people, patients, doctors, providers are facing. And that is that our system is a profit driven market based system. And no other peer country or even non-peer country relies on the market to provide healthcare for their people. And we shouldn't either. And I think that that's really what, I, I, everybody agrees that a decreasing life expectancy is bad, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, conservative or liberal, Mm -hmm. <laughs> we will all agree on that. Mm -hmm. But I think what we need to start talking about is that the reason why we have all of these terrible health outcomes and inequality in our healthcare system is because that root cause, which is a, a profit-driven market-based system that we absolutely need to get rid of. And that's the reason why we need a national single-payer healthcare system. Yeah. Yeah. And so in other words, that's why we need the real McCoy. Exactly. We need the real McCoy. So where are we going to go from here? So how do we get from here to there? Is that mm -hmm. your question? Yes. <laughs> how do we get from here to there? <laughs> um, well, um, I think the way that we get there is the way that other social movements, social justice movements have uh, ever succeeded. And that is through a mass movement um, of, of people on the ground that are being educated, that are being activated, that are being organized, and that are being mobilized. And I think that that's where an organization like National Single Payer comes into play. Yes, and I think it's what it's incumbent upon people to realize that they have an obligation to learn the facts and understand the facts, and that and to tell your family members and your neighbors and your friends. Um, so one of the things, there's a lot of misinformation going around, you know, insurances have people believing that they're, what they want for choice is to choose an insurance company. Um, I still see, uh, things about how 
quote, socialized medicine will take away your choice. Um, uh, how I, I was surprised on a talk I gave recently that people thought that they had to pay co-pays. They were buying this. And I actually saw this in, in an article somewhere that was talking about in a regular newspaper. It wasn't, uh, it was talking about how uh, pity people have to have skin in the game or the overuse. These are all things that have been proven to be no, not true. You have to have skin in the game or people will overuse medical care. Americans use medical care less than people in all our other peer countries. We go to the doctor less. If you go and look at the statistics, we're not, and, and we've been going even lesser and lesser with all these uh, uh, barriers in the way. Um, and um, so, so all of this, all of these, there's a lot of myths that these insurance companies put out that um, we have to, we have to combat when we're mobilizing the public, public and educating them to help people understand. And we have to do, a, we have to figure out a way to do a lot of it because there's a lot of, a lot of misinformation out there for people. Right. Um, right. And just to follow up on what you were saying is that not only do Americans go to the doctor less, um, and, and one of the reasons we go to the doctor less is because uh, people are afraid of, of co-pays and deductibles and, and costs and medical debt. Uh, the other reason is because we have fewer doctors, we have fewer nurses, we have fewer hospital beds um, than, than our peer countries. And so uh, the, the idea that um, the reason why American uh, health care is so expensive is because we have uh, greedy doctors that are ordering too many tests or uh, needy Americans that go to the doctor too much is, is a myth that does really need to be blown out of the water because it, it, it holds no truth to it whatsoever. Uh, and, and that's what these um, health economists have been putting into the heads, not only of, of people, but also of politicians. And they all believe this myth, just as you were saying, Claire, that the reason our healthcare system is so expensive is because there's not enough skin in the game. And if people started to feel, um, uh, make sacrifices uh, to get healthcare, then they would use less healthcare and our healthcare costs would go down. It's an insane, insane concept that not only is immoral and unethical, but it's also untrue. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so part of the purpose of this podcast is to help bust up those myths and make sure people know the facts. And over the course of time, we're going to have, we're going to try to do this podcast uh, biweekly in the beginning uh, and hopefully get to the point where we can do it weekly so we can help you know what the real facts are, uh, what the, in other words, what the real McCoy is, and you can help educate your friends, your family, your colleagues people about what we need and how we get there okay so um i I'm guess wondering, claire if if we could just talk a tiny bit about the privatization of our uh healthcare system particularly sure. privatization of medicare does that sound sure 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 and um th that definitely we, we could because one of the ways in which uh we're having not having the real mccoy is the privatization of medicare in particular, um, 
Also, Medicaid has been privatized already, but both of them are being privatized. In fact, I, I'm going to say a little bit about Medicaid. Most people, when they think of Medicaid, they think it's just federal dollars. But nowadays, in all but um, one or two states, I believe it may now be down to one state, but um, in all but one or two states, uh, the Medicaid uh, programs have been contracted out to private private insurance companies. And the idea was that they would make things more cost efficient and provide higher quality. But there was a Commonwealth Fund look at all the studies because all these states did have studies um, when they converted to this privatized par private partner, private public partnership idea of providing Medicaid. And all the studies have shown that quality has gone down while cost has gone up. Um, and patients are not getting good care and good service because these, I can tell you from my experience as a psychiatrist, these private companies, their whole idea, they want, they still want to make profit. These might be poor patients, but they want to make profit. And their idea on how to do this is to find ways to deny care. Well, absolutely. So these are called Medicaid, um, sorry, um, managed care organizations. Mm -hmm. And they uh, have 70% of all Medicaid beneficiaries are under one of these managed care organizations that are for profit, um, that 50% of the Medicaid budget now goes to these Medicaid, uh, these managed care organizations. Mm -hmm. And just as you said, they are not keeping costs down. In fact, they're making care more expensive and they're not improving outcomes. And the one state that has fought back uh, through the courts has been Connecticut. Yep. And Connecticut is really a fascinating, wonderful, inspiring story because Connecticut, um, activists in Connecticut recognize that their uh, MCO, their managed care organization in Medicaid was uh, very expensive and it was not improving care. And so they managed through the courts to kick out the managed care organizations in their Medicaid. And as a result, the the healthcare outcomes have improved. Uh, primary care has gone up. Hospitalizations have gone down. Um, emergency visits have gone down, and costs have gone down mm -hmm. significantly. Mm -hmm. So th this is all money that you can actually use to pay for healthcare rather than to pay for a third party for profit. Mm -hmm middleman, which is what's happening in, in Medicaid across the country. And it is also happening in Medicare across mm -hmm. the country. And, you know, recently we, we celebrated the 58th uh, birthday of Medicare, but honestly, I think that as healthcare activists, we should be thinking about celebrating its demise mm -hmm. because it is being privatized um, with, with the collusion of, of CMS, which is the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Uh, sadly, it's, um, it, it's, and I'm choosing that word carefully, but it is collusion between uh, this governmental agency, CMS, and the industry, because what CMS is doing is opening the doors wide uh, for uh, private equity, for venture capitalists, for Medicare Advantage plans, for private insurance companies, uh, all of these for-profit organizations, these profiteers that do not have the healthcare needs of seniors and people with disabilities uh, in mind. And what they want, what they're interested in is their bottom line, 
and making more money for for their CEOs and their stockholders. And it's just uh, another another crime in our in our healthcare system that needs to be uh, fought. And it's really important for us to to understand the story of of what is happening with the privatization of Medicare because. Half of Medicare is already privatized under Medicare Advantage, right? That's already privatized. The other half, which is the traditional Medicare, is under threat of being privatized through these schemes such as ACO REACH and uh, the Medicare Shared Savings Program and ACOs. And uh, and CMS has stated on their website that, or the CMMI has stated on its website, that their goal is to have every Medicare and most Medicaid beneficiaries in one of these care relationships, i.e. one of these ACOs relationship by 2030. So that's only seven years away. And that's their timeline. They want to privatize Medicare by 2030. And if we don't fight for Medicare now, if we don't protect Medicare now, there won't be any Medicare for all left to fight for. Yeah. And and uh, and I think we we a lot of people uh, and what they're one of the things one of the tricks I call it tricks that they're doing is they're finding ways to make traditional Medicare seem unappealing. So because it doesn't pay for certain services like dental and vision and old people need glasses and all first what I can tell you we need we need glasses we need hearing aids my hearing started going we need dental work. Um, so people will say, well, I need that. And that's not in traditional Medicare. So I've had people say to me, well, I love my Medicare Advantage plan because I was able to get uh, go to the dentist in Pennsylvania. A lot of adults don't have can't go to the dentist at all, not just elderly, because they just can't get coverage for dental care. I was able to go to the dentist. I was able to get my hearing aid. I was able to uh, get my get my reading glasses. And I couldn't get any of that covered under Medic. So they'll say that. And these are healthy seniors that have said that to me. So I don't see what's wrong with Medicare Advantage because I get that. And then, you know, and then I um, and then I'm getting my Medicare medical care, too. If I got traditional Medicare, I wouldn't I would have to pay a separate policy, which I can't afford on my fixed income. That's what I have to hear people say. And then I would have to pay. We have these co-pays. And so I try to explain to people that no, the issue is fixed traditional Medicare. Traditional Medicare doesn't need co-pays. So you wouldn't have to have separate insurance for co-pays. And, and traditional Medicare could very well cover hearing, vision, and dental. That's a choice that was made. That was a choice that was made by our government to make it less appealing to you uh, with, with input from private insurance and some other uh, private entities. So what we need to do is fight to make sure that Medicare truly covers everything because the, because when you get very sick and there's a lot of evidence showing this, when you get very sick, if you get some kind of cancer, which is more common when you're elderly, or you get some catastrophic event, you're going to find out that you really need that 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 medical medicare advantage is not going to be so great you'll be fighting at them when a time when you should be focusing on healing in your illness you'll be fighting with them to cover the services that you need right because unfortunately the these seniors that uh, are healthy which is which is great um and are worried about corrective lenses um or having a dental 
uh, cleaning don't recognize that the day that they do get sick, uh, there are prioritizations, there are narrow networks, uh, centers of excellence are, are carved out and not included in their plans. And um, they, it's going to be a real shock when they find out that uh, many of the services that they need when they're sick are not going to be covered or they're going to be, have to be fighting, fighting, fighting uh, those prior authorizations uh, or paying out of pocket if they want to uh, see a doctor outside of their network, which is not the case in traditional Medicare. Under traditional Medicare, you can go to any, any physician or hospital that accepts Medicare and most providers do accept Medicare. So uh, the, the problem with traditional Medicare, and I think also, I think that, that, that this is planned so that it makes Medicare Advantage look more, um, uh, it makes it look Healing. better, uh, more appealing, is that um, there, that even, you know, though hospital costs are covered by 100%, outpatient costs are only covered at 80%. And so that's where the supplemental Medigap uh, plans come into play. And so seniors typically uh, either are uh, choosing to pay out of pocket or sometimes their employers or their unions will pay for that supplemental plan to cover the other 20% that the Part B um, Medicare doesn't, doesn't cover, but it is very expensive for many, many seniors. And really that's the reason why people choose Medicare Advantage, not necessarily because of those um, gym memberships, mm -hmm. uh, but because uh, traditional Medicare has no out-of-pocket caps. It has uh, pre uh, monthly premiums for the Part B and plus has a supplemental plan, which is a private health insurance plan that uh, can be very, very expensive for many seniors, particularly those living in fixed incomes. Uh, and we've talked a little bit about what we need to do. Let's, let's tell you about the principles of national single payer. And then we'll wrap up with telling you with what we want to, what we'll be talking about on our next podcast. So, um, um, and I'll just pull up the principles and maybe you and I could take turns just saying them. And okay, uh, do you want to do them now? Sure, sure. Um, so just to recap again, we are a group of activists, mobilizers and organizers from across the country joined by a common goal of building a national single payer healthcare system. Okay, and if you agree with us, you can join us by going on our site and and uh, signing up as a member and giving a donation too. We really would appreciate that. Um, so here are our twelve principles. Um, number one, we believe healthcare is a human right, and nothing less than the enactment of a national not-for-profit single-payer program can make that right a reality in the United States. We believe coverage must be inclusive of all needed medical care with everybody in and nobody out, and that all people deserve the highest level of quality care. We believe the healthcare crisis calls for urgency in building a broad, powerful, bold, and nonpartisan movement that can make possible the enactment of national single-payer legislation. We maintain hope based on our nation's history of building dynamic movements to abolish slavery, expand voting rights, establish unions, and take on corporate power. We believe that neither a state-by-state -state nor an incrementalist strategy is an effective approach to winning national single-payer. We believe that private equity, venture capital, insurance companies, and all 
profit-making entities have no place in healthcare as the prioritization of profits over people is the cost of high costs, delays, denial of care, poor quality of care, and premature death. We believe the conversion of for-profit hospitals and medical care facilities into nonprofit entities is critical to serve the needs of people and communities. We believe that the public funding must be progressive, shifting the burden from workers and those with modest incomes to the wealthy. We believe that inequities in healthcare based on race, ethnicity, religion, immigration status, class, gender, including pregnancy and gender identity, sexual preference, detention, or incarceration, disability, age, and geographic location must be abolished to assure social justice in healthcare. We believe physicians and all healthcare practitioners must be able to practice free from corporate control and that patients have the right to choose their physician and other healthcare providers. We believe that a just transition with jobs, education, and income provided for those workers whose work is eliminated by the establishment of a, of a single payer system is imperative. And finally, we welcome the discussion of a national health service and the possibility that such a plan can be placed on the nation's agenda. Okay. So um, I hope you are inspired about hearing this and that you'll look that you'll um continue to listen to our podcast our next podcast is going to be um about racial uh the the why black people i'm not gonna take the wrong why black people in particular and people of color should be for and should fight for uh single-payer health care and we're going to have some excited powerful Black women physicians to discuss that issue. Well, I can't wait. <laughs> Neither can I. Okay, so do you have any final words to send us off, Dr. Malino? Well, yes. Most importantly, I do think that we well, need a national movement. Um, so I just urge everyone to uh, go to our website, uh, nationalsinglepayer.com, sign up for our alerts. Uh, we meet... Um, twice a month, uh, one for educational sessions and one for a working group. Uh, we believe that, that there is a healthcare crisis that is calling for an urgency in building a broad, powerful, bold, and nonpartisan movement that can make possible the enactment of national single-payer legislation. And uh, that is on us. That is the movement that we need to, to build to make uh, this and to achieve a national single payer. We all deserve it and uh, fighting for it, we will get there. Okay, all right, well, thank you. All right, so um, we'll see you again next show, which will be in a, and, and look, keep looking for it. It's always gonna be this drop the same day, okay? Thank all you. Right. Thank you, Claire. National single payer. <laughs>